Hey, you're about to hear a great word from our teaching team. At Freedom House, we're about equipping you to experience Christ's freedom every day. We would love to connect with you. We stream our live services Sundays at 10.30 and 12.15 Eastern Standard Time. You can join us at freedomhouse.cc slash live. I hope you enjoyed this message. Come on, where are my dads at? Stand up, dads. Come on, stand up. Let's give all of our dads a big God bless you. You guys are incredible. Awesome, awesome. So I thought about uh, what my son would say about his daddy, and I would think that Colby would probably say, my daddy can drive a golf cart. And let me tell you why. Uh, about when he was about five or six years old, my, um, I, I took Colby out on the golf course for the first time. You know, he was like, hey, Dad, I want to go drive the golf cart. I want to go out there and do this. And I was like, awesome, great. So we get about to the sixth or seventh hole, and uh, we're at, at Highland Creek over here. And he's like, Dad, I got, a, I got something we want to do. Why, why, don't, why don't I try to jump in the side of the golf cart while it's moving? I'm like, awesome, Fantastic. And so he starts running beside the golf cart, and we do it a few times, and he's like, go faster, Dad, go faster. I'm like, yeah. You know, so I got to, I mean, I'm just going as fast as it can go. He runs, and he jumps in the side, tries to jump in the side of the golf cart. And you know those moments in life where you realize this is probably not a good idea? And everything goes slow-mo. You ever had that happen? It's just kind of, everything just kind of slows down. Everything slows down. He reaches as he jumps in to try to grab the side of the golf cart like he did the other 10 times, except this time he missed. His eyes got really big. He fell down. His leg went underneath the golf cart. I hit the brakes, which wasn't a good idea. I should have just ran over him. But I slid his leg all the way across the cart path, and then I had to call his mom. So anyway... My daddy can drive a golf cart better than yours, so, or not so good. Well, happy Father's Day. I hope you're enjoying the weekend. Make sure you call your dad, text your dad, uh, say a little prayer for your dad. And, uh, you know, this whole weekend is dedicated to the dads in the house. Uh, however, um, this message also that I'm going to preach, I'm going to focus on the fathers, on the men of the house, but this is also a message that you can apply to your Christian life. So whether you're a, a, a female, no dad, uh, whether you aren't a father, whether you're single, you can start practicing right now. And I want to look first of all at the, at the Apostle Paul, and I love what he says to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, there are a lot of people around who can't, tell, can, can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong. A lot of people, but there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. There's not many fathers. It was as Jesus helped me proclaim God's message to you that I became your father. Now, the interesting thing about Paul is that he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament other than Jesus being the most significant and most impactful person to walk the planet, having more influence than anyone that's ever lived. Paul would probably be second. His letters written to churches and people uh, throughout history have impacted you, have impacted me, have impacted the entire world for, world for the last 2,000 years. And the thing you may not know about Paul is he wasn't a dad. He wasn't married he didn't have any kids, but yet his heart bled, his heart cried to be a spiritual father. And this is what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about stepping into the place of being a man of the house. 
Maybe being the man of your house, your home. Maybe you don't have a family yet, but you can step into the role of being the man of the house. Maybe you are married with no kids. It's time for you to step up and be the man of the house. Maybe you've got some kids. It's time for you to step into that role of the man of the house. I think in our society, in our culture, we need to make sure that we have a lot of men in this house, freedom house, amen? And it's time for us to step up. Yesterday we had an incredible breakfast with all of our men, the largest we've ever had. About 100 men showed up at breakfast. We got all fired up to be the men of this house. Our world, our, so, our society, our culture needs men to step up. Can I get an amen? And amen, I think it works really well. First Timothy chapter six, Paul tells Timothy who he had adopted as his spiritual son. He says, but thou, O man of God, and I love that. I love the fact that he prophesies, he speaks to Timothy and calls him a man of God. I'll never forget when I got called into the ministry, I was at an airport actually struggling with this idea of being a pastor, of being a leader in ministry. I was doing well in business and this guy I'd never met before, you know, coming up the escalator, he looks at me and he goes, you're a man of God, aren't you? And I didn't, had no idea that I was wrestling on the inside of whether I should even get involved in ministry. And those three words, man of God, changed my entire trajectory. And here I am, 25, almost 30 years later, doing what God has called me just because a man decided to speak into my life. He says, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. I love this call to Timothy. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession. In other words, he's professed for his life before many witnesses. He stood, Timothy has stood before others. Timothy was, was, was a young kid and he eventually became the pastor of the Corinthian church. Reminds me of a story. This, this idea of being the man of a house reminds me of the story that we have such a big responsibility. This carpenter was up in age and decided that he was going to retire from his job. He's like, I'm done I'm gonna retire, I've, I've, I've got enough in my life, I, I, I've saved enough money, my, my family, I can take care of them for the rest of my life. And the contractor who he worked for came to him and asked him one last time, he said, hey, would you, would you build one last house? He's like, reluctantly, yeah, I'll do it, I'll build this house for you. So he gets involved in the project, however, uh, because it's his last house, his heart's not in it. He's just, he, he, he's doing things not, not like he did before. Uh, the quality of materials, the paint on the walls, just wasn't the quality that he was, did before. Instead of, instead of two, three coats, they would normally just put one coat of paint on it. Instead of putting the walls and building a little bit extra in there, he just kind of took, took, cut some corners, uh, took some time off. Uh, the foundation wasn't as deep as he normally dug. The walls weren't as sturdy and as strong. He cut corners. He, he used materials that he definitely would never use in the past. At the end, after he'd fin finished the house, a contractor came to him, walked him through the house to see his work. Every, on the outside, it looked okay. And then at the end, contractor reaches in his pocket, pulls out the keys, and he says, thank you for your hard work. This house is yours. Now think about it, if you were that carpenter, you're probably thinking, man, I wish I would have done a lot better work on this house had I known it was mine. 
Well, listen, God gives us things and he expects us to give it our best. Being a man of the house means that every day of our life requires our best. I know I'm, I'm 49 years old. My son is almost 21, 19, and uh, 17, my kids. And I can look over my life and there are times where I didn't give my best. I, I, I regret those times. But I know now, being a Christian, being a pastor, being a leader, that I, I gotta give my best, man. God has given me the responsibility to steward a house. Listen, men, don't cut corners. Don't try to get by the easiest way because it's those little things that sometimes nobody sees that makes the biggest difference in the life in, that we're, we're called to steward, the responsibility that we're called to steward. I wanna give you an image today from a passage of scripture that I think will, will help you understand what it looks like to be a man of the house. If you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter three. Joshua chapter three. I'd encourage you to take some notes today. Men especially, write some of these things down. I wanna I want talk to you about what it looks like, a picture of what it looks like to be a man of the house. Let me give you a little history of what I'm about to read to you. Joshua was a unique person in respect to an Israelite because he was one of only two guys that actually came out of Egypt and was going to enter the promised land. Joshua was a leader at this particular time, but he was a follower for most of his life. He followed Moses. Now, if you know the story, the Israelites were called out of Egypt. Moses was their leader. Moses drew them out of Egypt, led them into the wilderness to worship God, to eventually enter into the promised land. However, the Israelites complained and whined, we wanna go back to Egypt, and, and Moses got frustrated one particular time because they were crying out, we want some water, Moses, give us some water. And, and so he went, he got mad, he got angry, and he hit the rock when he was supposed to just speak to the rock. And as a result of the mistake that Moses made, he was not allowed to enter the promised land. Joshua was there with Moses his entire life. Joshua followed Moses everywhere. He understood the presence of God. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he never left the tent of meeting. Wherever the presence of God was, Joshua was there. So when Moses was gone, Joshua took his place as the leader. Now, Joshua is to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. But it was a brand new generation of children. The whole generation that came out of Egypt had actually died. They, they, they spent 40 years in the wilderness wandering around so that he could get rid of this whining and complaining nation. There were only two guys, Joshua and a guy named Caleb, who actually were going to enter the promised land. Joshua is now given the task as a man to lead this family of believers into the promised land. I want you to get this picture. And notice what it says in Joshua chapter three. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan. Everybody say the Jordan. He's talking about the Jordan River here. With the priests bearing or carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people. The Ark was a representation of the presence of God. Wherever the ark was, God went. When they camped in, in the wilderness, 
At night, the ark produced a fire to keep them warm. At, at, during the day, the ark produced a cloud to keep them cool. Wherever the cloud moved, they went. The ark was the presence of God. They carried the presence of God. And as those who bore the ark, who carried the ark, came to the Jordan, everybody say the Jordan, the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water. For the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. So you can imagine. I don't know if you've ever seen a river that is in flood stage. I've seen a couple of them. This is rough, man. It was wide, it was deep, and it was rushing. Look what happens. That the waters, as soon as these guys stepped in, the waters which came down from upstream stopped. They stood still. Rose up in a heap very far away at Adam. The city that is beside a city that starts with Z. So the waters that went down into the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests, the men of the house who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, stood firm on the dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel, everybody say all Israel, crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, here's what I want you to do, Joshua. Take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one from every tribe, and command them saying, take for yourselves 12 stones from here. Out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm, you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge tonight. All right, look up at me for a second. The Jordan River represents a boundary, a barrier. Every time you see it, it's mentioned many times in the scriptures. Every time you see the Jordan River, it represents a barrier in which someone or a group have to cross over before they receive the blessing of God. Every time. You have a calling on your life. Your family has a calling on its life. Your marriage, there's something that God has for you. There's a blessing for you. How many know you're favored by God? You are blessed. You're highly favored by God. There's a promise that is for you. But let me tell you something. You will have to cross your own personal Jordan to receive that promise. You may feel like it right now. You haven't received it yet because you are on the edge of your Jordan. I believe it is the role of the man of the house to lead the way across that barrier. And you see this picture of these four guys, these four men, these four priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And Joshua says, this is what happened every single time, in order for us to move, Israelites, we don't move until they move. When the Ark, the presence of God goes, then you can go. Matter of fact, you need to stay back from it a little bit. Stay back, have a distance between this and you, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant and you, but I want you to follow them. And whenever that Ark moves, the presence of God, you need to follow. See, what we see here is a picture. And what happens is these guys, they actually step into the Jordan River 
as soon as they put their foot into this raging river. And how many know we live in a culture that's raging right now? As soon as they put their foot into this raging river, it stops, backs up, builds like a wall. They walk into the middle of the river. They stand there until millions of people walk through this river to get to the promised land. I want to share with you four characteristics that I believe every man of the house should have. Four characteristics that you can see in this particular passage that every man of the house should should have. Number one, the man of the house always goes first. I believe in innate in every man is the ability to lead. I believe that there are born leaders. I believe as a man, you are called to lead. That doesn't mean that women can't lead. Don't get all mad at me, ladies. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm married to a very strong leader. My wife is very strong. But you know, the Bible says that when God created Woman, and you know why she's called woman. It's because when she was created, Adam said, whoa, man. <laughs> A little dad joke there for you. It doesn't say that he took an ankle bone or a shoulder bone. It actually says he took a rib, part of his rib. Why? Because the woman is meant to be beside you. Not behind you, but beside you. And my strength as a leader is when my wife is beside me. And so as a man, there's something in you that, that you, you desire to go first. You're the one that always wants to jump the ramp when you were a kid. You know, you were the one that wanted to go first. I'm going to jump that ramp first. I, I want to jump over that creek. I'm going to go first. And if I fall down, I'm going to get back up. I'm going to do it again. Watch me. I'm going to be the one. I, I, I want to be picked first. And kickball. I want to be the one that goes first. Why? Because there's something inside of you that wants to lead. Now, I can tell you that society will press you down and try to tell you you can't lead. The enemy will use any defeat that you may have in your life to try to pull you back so you won't lead. But God called you to lead. You need to go first. We should, men of the house are first to take the risk. We're the ones that shield our family. We're the ones that are called to guide, to guard, and to govern. When something happens in our house, there's a noise, we're the ones that first get up. We don't kick our wives out and go see what's going on out there. It's not the way it works. We're the first. When it comes to worship, listen, men of the house should go first. You should be the first ones lifting your hands in worship. You, you should be the loudest one singing. You say, well, well, I don't know about all that stuff. I can't sing good. And the Bible says make a joyful noise. Listen, man, we need to step up. You say, I don't know about that vulnerability. When I do that, I don't know. People are looking at me. Let me tell you, vulnerability is sexy. Right, ladies? It's way more sexy than pushing the vacuum. Vulnerability is sexy. My wife loves it when I am vulnerable. Let me tell you, God loves it when you let down all the barriers, when you stop trying to be cool and collective, just, just lay it down. You be the first one to lift your hands in worship. You be the first one. You be the first to give. You write the check. Listen, don't let your wife tell you you need to tithe. You need to set the tone in your house. You be the first one to take that step. She should never come to you, hey, did we tithe? Yes, we did, sweetheart. Don't ask me anymore. 
It's on automatic draft. You should be the first. Men of the house should be the first ones serving. Men of the house should be the first ones to say they're sorry. We're the first ones to apologize. I read somewhere that the one that says they're sorry first is the most spiritual. (laughs) Just saying. We should go first in faith. Faith. Notice what happened here. The miracle did not happen until the men of the house stepped into the river. The miracle is God's job. That's his responsibility. Our job, take the step. Let me say that again. The miracle is God's job. You need a miracle in your life? God wants to do a miracle. He wants to do a miracle in your finances. He wants to do a miracle in your marriage. He wants to do a miracle with your kids. He's not... He's, not, he's waiting for us to take the step. You've got to take that first step. Second thing, second characteristic of a man of the house is the man of the house bears the responsibility. It says, then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was a three and a half foot by two foot box that carried within it the pot of manna, a pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and also the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. It was overlaid on the outside with pure gold, inside and out. All inside and out of it was made of pure gold. It had seraphim and cherubim on top facing each other, these two amazing angels that their wings touched and their faces went. The Bible says that the presence of God would hover over this area called the mercy seat, right above the top. You may have seen the Raiders of the Lost Ark. That was a little big. That was a little big for a box. It had poles on each side, that were, and it was only carried by four men, only carried by four guys. Conservatively, theologians believed that it weighed about 750 pounds. Okay, that's pretty heavy for four guys to carry realistically, most people believe it weighed close to 2,000 pounds. 2,000 pounds. Now think about this. Four guys carrying about 500 pounds each. They step into the water and they go and stand in the middle of the river. They can't put it down. You can't put this thing down or you'll die. There's actually a story in the Bible where a friend of David's uh, the ark is on this cart and the cart begins to shift because the oxen stumble and this guy named Uzzah reaches out to, to steady the ark and as soon as he touched the ark, he dies. You don't mess around with this thing, man. These guys are carrying it and they're standing in the middle of the river as millions of people are walking by. Listen, it's not easy being a man. It's not easy being a man in the 21st century. There's a lot of pressure on us, a lot of pressure on being the, the provider for our families and, and bringing all the money home and making sure our kids are taken care of and making sure our house payments are made and making sure all those things are done. And then you gotta be all sweet and emotional when you come in the house. There's a lot of pressure. 
Y'all feeling it? I mean, it just, you got to be, be able to do all that stuff and then kind of have a Titanic moment, you know, like all the time, like, you know, me and like, you know, just, just, and by the way, I think he, he could have fit on that board, by the way, I'm just saying. I don't know why she let him die. They could have both fit on there. It's Titanic conspiracy. It's hard work. Bearing the responsibility being a man in our culture. It's tough. It's not easy. There's a lot of pressure. Especially if you own your own business or, or maybe you're, you have kids that are young and all the different things that are hitting us from every side and, and the choices that we have and all the things that are available to us. It's tough. But listen, listen, listen. You don't have to bear this burden by yourself. Nobody called you, man, to do this all by yourself. The first thing you got to understand is that you've got the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. You've got the Spirit of God. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, God's Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to carry this alone. One of the things that was clear about this particular deal is that there were four guys that would carry it, and they would use the same philosophy when they would use oxen to plow a field. And whenever there was an oxen plowing a field, there was always two oxen that would plow a field. They would have an older one and a younger one. An older one and the younger one. The older was placed to set the pace the younger was put just to follow in step. So not only are you meant, not, not meant to carry this burden, Jesus said, my burden is light. You, you don't have to do this by yourself. I've got you. Jesus has you. The Holy Spirit has you. Y'all hearing this this morning. You understand, man, you don't have to do this by yourself. Not to mention you've got a community around you that will help support you. Listen, don't walk in and out of this church and not connect with some men. Get some guys in your life that can pray for you. Get some guys in your life that you can text back and forth and say, man, I'm struggling here. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm struggling in my sin. I need some help. Will you come and pray for me? Get in a life group. That's why we're doing all these house parties all this entire summer is so that you men, and we have men's house parties that are specifically designed so you can bring your family, connect with some people. Get next to an older oxen so you can just fall in line. Connect with some guys that can help you. Walk out your faith. Follow Jesus. Get around some people. Newly married. F find a couple. Identify an older couple and say, hey, will you mentor me? You're not meant to carry this weight. You're not that smart. I thought I was real smart. And I realize, every, you know, it's, it's funny how, how every year I get older, I realize how smart I'm not. Anybody ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? You realize, you, every time, I, every age, I realize, man, I don't know much at all. I imagine when I'm 85, 90 years old, I'm gonna be like stupid. I, I don't know. But you gotta get around some people. You're not meant to carry this all by yourself. We are better Together. Look at your neighbor say, we're better together. Come on, look at them. Say, we're better together. Look at your other neighbor say, I need you. I need you. Look in their eyeballs. Say, I need you. I need you. Here's a third characteristic. Third characteristic 
of a man of the house is the man of the house takes a stand. Takes a stand. It says they stood on firm, stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. We're not responsible for the foundation. That's God's responsibility. That's God's job. We are responsible for the stand. We're responsible to stand. Stand. Reminds me of a story of this guy who wanted to sell his house for, uh, for $2,000. And so he's, this is an old, old story. He said, I wanna sell my house for $2,000. And so he finds this, this guy comes to him, and, but he's only got $1,000. And he says, I wanna buy your house, but I've only got $1,000. And so they negotiate back and forth and negotiate back and forth. Finally, they settle on this $1,000 price. However, the original owner says, I'll sell you this house for $1,000, but I want to own the nail over the front door. He says, you can buy it for $1,000, but I own this nail over the front door. So he buys it for $1,000, he's excited, he moves his family into the house. They occupy it, they furnish it, their kids are enjoying it. It's a beautiful house, they love it. About eight, nine years later, the original owner comes back and says, hey, I wanna buy my house back. And he says, no, no, I, I love this house. I'm gonna be here for the rest of my life. He goes, but I wanna buy it back. He goes, no, I, I'm not. Now remember, he owns that nail. So he goes out and he finds a dead dog. And he takes the dead dog and he puts it on the nail that he owns. Day after day, all they can see on that nail that he owns is this dead dog. The stench of this dead dog begins to permeate the house so much so that they can't live there anymore. And the older, old owner comes back and moves in the house. See, when we decide to sit down, we leave, we leave nails Little things in our houses, little things in our homes, little things in our marriages where the enemy can come and put something dead to try to drive us out and take us back over. When we don't stand up, everybody say stand. You've gotta take a stand. You, men of the house stand up, they never sit down. They're constantly in a position of standing. I love what, what God says through Ezekiel. He says, I looked for someone to stand up for me. I looked, I looked around. I need somebody to stand up for me. I love that statement. God says, I'm looking for somebody to stand up for me. In our society, I believe God's looking for that same thing. Somebody that'll stand up for God. Listen, there's a lot of pressure for you to compromise. You're not supposed to talk about this in the workplace. You're not supposed to talk about that. Don't bring up Jesus. Yeah, you can talk about Allah and Muslim and, and all that other stuff, but you're not allowed to talk about Jesus. You, you'll, get, you'll get shouted down. Christians are, are you got, don't, don't talk about Christianity. You can talk about everything else because if you, if you talk about Christianity, it's offensive to the Muslims. It's offensive to the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's, defense, it's offensive to the Buddhists. It's offensive. Don't talk about that. You can talk about the, all the other stuff. I want you to sit down, just sit down, be quiet, sit down, be quiet. God, God says, I'm looking for somebody who will stand up for me. Stand up for me against all this to prepare, repair the defenses of the city, to take a stand for me and stand in the gap. That's what a man of, house, of the house does. A man of the house stands in the gap to protect this land so I wouldn't have to destroy it. And I couldn't, this is sad, I couldn't find anybody. 
I couldn't find anybody to take a stand for me. I read this book this week called Do Whatever It Takes. Do Whatever It Takes. It's written by uh, John Eldridge. And it talks about the two questions that every man and woman, every boy, every girl, every son and every daughter asks in their life. And the whole book is about gender identity. Because in our culture right now, there's a real attack on gender. People are struggling with it. Our schools have adopted, it's okay for you to struggle with that. It's okay to, as a, as a female to identify as a male, as a male to identify as a female, because you just need to work this out. How many know that's not godly? Hello, how many of y'all know that's not godly? Okay, that's not Bible. That's not Bible. And it comes back to these two questions that every man, every boy, every son, every Woman, every girl, every daughter asks. They're, they're asking this. When they're born, when they start to kind of understand their life, they ask these questions. And it's the role of the dad to fulfill this answer, to answer this question. The role of the dad to step in. This is a powerful role that the dad, the father, the father, the man of the house is to step into. The question that the men, the boy, the son asks, is do I have what it takes? Do I have? They, their greatest fear is the fear of failure. The greatest fear of any man is the fear of failure. I don't want to fail. I don't want to make a mistake. Do I have what it takes? That's, that's where that adventure in us, that, that adventurous ideal comes from. We, we're adventurous. Men are adventurous. We, we want to we just take new ground. Constantly, I remember as a kid, I, I, I got my new bike. I wanted to show, I wanted to ride wheelies in front of my dad. Look, dad, look what I can do. Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to be like you? Do I have what it takes to grow up and be strong? The question that every girl, every woman, every daughter is asking is, am I lovely? Am I wanted? Am I worth being pursued? And you know, the job to answer those two questions is the job of the man in the house. See, that's why we're struggling in our societies because we live in a generation that is fatherless. And I'm not talking about that they weren't there physically. I'm talking about their emotional connection was lacking because they didn't take their stand. I look at that and I look, man, I have got a tremendous responsibility to set my kids up for their future if I can answer those questions for them. I've got to answer for my son, do I have what it takes? I've got to answer for my daughters. Am I lovely? Am I willing? See, a woman's greatest fear is the fear of abandonment. That's their greatest fear. Are they going to leave me? Are they going to come into my life and leave? Come into my life and leave? I asked my wife, she said, absolutely. That's her greatest fear is the fear of abandonment. Why? Because her dad wasn't involved in her life. Now, the good thing is, is if you didn't have a father in your life and you're all grown up, you do and can have a heavenly father that will do that for you, that he will explain that to you. We have, a, we have an amazing father. I did not have that in my life. I didn't have a dad that was able to bestow that. And when I became a Christian, I bumped into my heavenly father and I exchanged the lack of, earthly-wise that I did not get for the one heavenly who could answer that question for me. 
God loves you. He cares for you. You have a heavenly father that cares for you. So much so, I love what happens uh, in, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The last thing that God says in Malachi chapter four, he says, he says he's gonna send a prophet, his name is John the Baptist, and he's going to basically return the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and destroy the land. That's the last words from God. You know the first words that God says in the New Testament? After Jesus shows up, the first words out of heaven from God, 400-year gap from the time where he says, I'm gonna return the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers, the first words out of his mouth, the first words out of heaven are, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, Jesus, you have what it takes. A father to a son. You gotta take a stand. Look at your neighbor, say, take a stand. You gotta take a stand. You gotta stand against the enemy. You gotta stand against compromise. You gotta stand and just keep standing, even when you don't feel like it. Just endure. I can imagine those guys holding that ark. People weren't walking by going, hey, good job, fellas. Good job, way to go. Thank you for doing this for us. Hey, do you need anything to eat? No, they're trying to get through the, the river because there's a raging wall of water about to crash on them. These guys, the people that were crossing, they didn't cross the Red Sea. They didn't see that miracle. This was the first time they'd ever seen anything like this. Those guys were standing there, 2,000 pounds, holding as millions of people walk by them. They're like, hurry up. How about a nice jog? <laughs> Sometimes you're not gonna get a thank you for standing. Sometimes you're not gonna get appreciated for standing. Sometimes people aren't gonna see you when you're standing for your family, when you're standing in prayer, when you're standing in faith, when you're standing to take the risk for your wife. Some people aren't gonna see that. They may not know it. You don't need to tell them. God knows. And you can keep standing. I'm not getting any amens. I'm gonna amen. Excuse me, excuse me. Amen, Pastor Troy. You are preaching good today. Here's the last characteristic of a man of the house. The man of the house creates legacy. Creates legacy. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Joshua tells these guys, he says, I need, I need 12 guys. I need you to go to the middle of the river where these guys are standing. I want you to get a, a stone from right where they are and I want you to take that stone back to your house tonight. I want you to take it back. He actually does it. He also takes some stones and he piles them up in the middle of the river as a memorial so that whenever they look at the, the Jordan River, they can remember what happened. Proverbs 13, 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now, when I say the word inheritance, all of us think money. But listen, listen. A father's inheritance, the inheritance of a father, a father leaves is not monetary, it's moral. Your greatest leave for your children's children is not money. It's not a bunch of gold. It's not a bunch of riches. It's not a 401k or a 503b or whatever. That's not important. IRAs, Roth IRAs, it's not important. No, it's your morality. That's important. It's what you leave morally. They were cleaning out some storage, um, a storage that my grandmother had before she passed away. I used to take care of my grandma's stuff. She moved here, I moved her here from Richmond. 
And my son actually ran up to me on Tuesday and goes, hey, Dad, do you want this book? I found this book. They found this book in the storage. And I was like, yeah, I've seen this book before. This is actually the book of the Maxwell family. This is a book that explains the history of the Maxwells. Now, I, I have seen this book. I've seen this. I saw it when I was a kid on my grandmother's um, table when you walked in the house. I've looked through this book many times. Really didn't pay much attention to it, to be honest, because it's, it's not, not really good reading because all it talks about is different generations and kids and birthdays and all that stuff. I never really looked at it. Got home that night, and I, but I've never like read it from cover to cover. So I opened the book and I started reading right from the very beginning. I knew some things about our family. I knew that we were from Scotland. We have a crest from Scotland. I have that crest. I have that crest from Scotland. We actually have a town in Scotland called Maxwellton, Scotland. The first generation of Maxwells to come from Scotland to the United States came in the early 1700s, around 1704, 1705. They were escaping a religious battle uh, that was happening in Scotland. And the guy's name was a guy by the name of Joel Maxwell who came. He showed up here and he had a kid by the name of Thomas Maxwell. Thomas Maxwell was my dad's name and my grandfather's name. Interestingly enough, I didn't know much about Thomas Maxwell, the second generation of Maxwells. As I read through the beginning of the book, that actually was kind of some interesting reading, it talks about when Thomas was in his early 20s, he got involved in a church in Virginia. Started serving as basically the secretary of the church. He was the clerk of the church. I kept reading about this guy, Thomas Maxwell. Had a lot about him. Goes on to say that Thomas Maxwell started not just clerking for the church, but he actually started preaching on the streets the gospel of Jesus Christ. So much so that as he preached so passionately against the culture that they arrested him. He got arrested for preaching Jesus. I'm like, yeah, come on, Maxwell's rule. But that's what wasn't what he was known for. Actually, what he was known for is when they arrested him, Patrick Henry came and actually as an attorney tried to get him out. Uh, James Madison came and tried to get him out. This was before the Constitution. And so he's preaching in prison. The, the book said that he would preach from prison so strongly that he would press his face against the prison bars and blood would begin to come down from his nose. It's written over and over in the book that his passion for souls was so strong. Had no, no idea that the second generation of Maxwells would leave a legacy that 400 years later, Troy Maxwell would move to Charlotte, North Carolina and start a church to passionately preach the gospel. Had no idea that 400 years ago, a legacy was laid. What kind of legacy are you leaving, man? What, what, what are you going to leave? Today, as you leave, I'm going to give you a stone. Every person here is going to get a stone that you can carry home to declare that I am going to be the man of the house. I'm going to be the man of the house. I'm going to leave a legacy, not money. And it's good. Don't, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with leaving money, but you're... 
Your inheritance isn't just limited to the finances that you can leave. No, what kind of moral legacy will you leave? And I wanna challenge you today to do that. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is where it starts. It starts with getting to know your heavenly Father, getting to know who God created you to be, getting, getting to know that, that you have a, a God who loves you, cares for you, so much so that he sent his son to die for you. If you're here in this place and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't know him personally, Maybe you knew him at one time, but you kind of fell away from him. You can start today with an amazing relationship with Jesus Christ. Start today. You can start today. If that's you, if you say, I, I want to make sure my sins are forgiven. I want to make sure I make it to heaven. I want a relationship with God. I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, just raise your hand. You ready? One, two, three. You say, that's me. I want, I want to get right with God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Keep it up so I can see it just for a second. Thank you. Hands all over the room. You can go ahead and slip your hand down. If you raised your hand, you wanted to raise your hand, I want you to pray this prayer out loud. Everybody in the church, pray this with them. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that his blood forgives me of all my sins and all my mistakes. Thank you, Jesus, for being raised from the dead so I could have eternal life. I'll serve you and I'll worship you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give them a big hand? Come on. The last thing I wanna do, if you just say, men, if you say, I wanna be a man of the house, I wanna go first. I'm ready to bear the responsibility. I, I, I wanna create a legacy. I want you just to stand up on your feet right now. If you say, if you would make a de dedication, I wanna be the man of my house. I wanna be the man of this house. I wanna be the man that people look to. I wanna, I wanna be able to bear the responsibility. I wanna be a carrier of the presence of God. And here's what I want you to do, men. If that's you, I want you to just put your hand right on your heart, right on your heart. I want you to say this with me. Say, I commit by God's grace and declare as a man of the house that I will be a man who bears the burden of being a king and a priest in my house. I will establish kingdom order in all areas of influence by putting God first. I will stand up for Jesus. I will stand against the enemy and I will stand for my family. I will communicate with clarity to my kids now and in the future with my words and my actions, their identity because God through the power of the Holy Spirit has given me the boldness and the strength to lead. I declare that I have what it takes to be a man of the house. Come on, give yourselves a big hand. Isn't that awesome? Will the rest of you stand up? Lift both hands to heaven. Father, thank you so much for today. God, we celebrate fathers today. We celebrate men of the house. We will build a memorial, a legacy. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody says amen. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe. And hey, if you want to find out more about our church or how you can be a part, go to freedomhouse.cc.